You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. through a number of different passages of scripture over the next few weeks. I noticed as I was uh, got dressed and was running late this morning, having spent a little bit more time than usual on my sermon notes, that I matched that graphic, I think down to the hex colors. So I'm hoping that some green screen effect doesn't happen this morning so that people live streaming don't just see a bobbling head and some arms, but we'll see. Um, the aim of this series that we that we might more deeply marvel at the goodness, glory, and grace of God, that we might more declare the praises of him who is worthy of all praise, two, that we might more deeply understand and enjoy the blessings that this praiseworthy God bestows upon his people. A.W. Pink, his definition and distinction of a doxology versus a benediction is better than mine, so I'll share his with you. He says, a doxology is an ascription of praise, a benediction, a word of blessing. The one ascends from the heart of the saint to God. The other descends from God to the saint. So that with the doxology, we, we lift our hands up, palms down, as we ascribe praise to the one who is worthy of praise. With a benediction, we lift our hands, palms up, as we acknowledge in humble reliance and dependence that he must bestow blessing if we are to receive it. Christian life, it's nothing less than that beautiful both and of hands lifted in heart-filled praise and humble dependence, palms up and palms down. Hopefully that imagery itself sticks with us throughout the course of this series. And so with that said, I'll uh, invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Uh, that's where we'll be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, underneath uh, one of the seats in the row in front of you. You're welcome to open up one of those Bibles and utilize it during our time together this morning. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take one of those Bibles as the church's gift to you. We'd be excited to know that you're exploring the truth claims of Christianity on your own time. With that, let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll jump into the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, praise you for decreeing this great plan of redemption that's ours in Jesus before the foundations of the world. Lord Jesus, for your accomplishing that plan and stooping down into the slums of our fallen, broken world, that we who were without hope and dead in our trespasses might know life and redemption. Praise you, Holy Spirit, for applying redemption to our hearts I pray this morning that we would find ourselves caught up in the wonder of who you are, Father, Son, and Spirit, the beauty of promises and the blessings that you bestow upon your people in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would walk out of this place with hearts full, that we would ascribe to you the praise that you are worthy of as we leave this place that we would surely praise you as we continue to gather in this space even now, Lord, but that you're worthy of praise 
not just in a compartmentalized moment once a week as we come together on the Lord's day, but, but rather you're worthy of our praise at all times. So would you, Spirit of God, stir us from our slumber, awaken our hearts to the wonder, the mystery of who you are. I ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So 2 Corinthians is arguably the, the most emotional of the Apostle Paul's letters, one that not only gives us a window into Paul's heart, but to his ability uh, and his awareness to apply the gospel in real time. A little more free-flowing than some of Paul's other letters in that it's not the well-ordered, methodical layout that we see in books like Romans or Ephesians. And yet it, it speaks to our struggles with present uncertainty as Paul glories in God's trustworthiness and the certainty of our future in Christ. It speaks to our propensity to hide our weaknesses and struggles as Paul helps us to see that God's power is made perfect in weakness. It speaks to the honor and privilege we've been given as ambassadors for Christ, entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation in Jesus. It speaks to the beauty of radical generosity as an outworking of God's radical generosity to us in Christ. These just a, a few of the wondrous themes with which the Apostle Paul saturates this incredible letter. One that undoubtedly brings us face to face with the paradoxical, comfort in affliction, richness in poverty, strength in weakness. The beginning of the letter focusing on Paul's defense of his apostolic authority in response to those seeking to question his integrity and undermine his influence. The middle of the letter focusing on Sacrificial generosity as an outworking of gospel-formed repentance and trust. The end of the letter, Paul's exhortation to repent for those standing in opposition to him and his gospel message. The closing benediction, which we'll look at this morning, coming on the heels of a few final remarks in which Paul incorporates the major themes of this letter in just a few brief sentences, beautifully summing up the heart of his message and bringing this Remarkable letter to its close so that as you pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, Paul says, as he speaks a word of blessing over this church, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here we come face to face with one of the most well-known benedictions in all of Scripture. One proclaimed by a great many pastors throughout the world and pronouncing God's blessing upon his people in the dismissal of the congregation. It's happening all over the world even now. In the words of one pastor and scholar, an ocean of truth in just a teaspoon of words. An ocean of truth in just a teaspoon of words. The Apostle Paul's only recorded Trinitarian benediction meaning a pronouncement of blessing that includes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Spirit. Which is not to say that the gifts of grace, love, and, and fellowship are exclusive to the respective members of the Trinity as laid out in Paul's language here. As Paul elsewhere speaks of the grace of God, meaning the Father, 1 Corinthians 1, 4. The love and fellowship of Christ, the Son, 2 Corinthians 5.14 and 1 Corinthians 1.9. To be sure, this is not a comprehensive treatise on the doctrine of the Trinity, which would require that we explore a great many passages of Scripture. And yet it is a Trinitarian benediction, 
A pronouncement of the blessings that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit bestow upon the church. As it was once said of the doctrine of the Trinity, try to explain it and you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Spirit. It's not in the order in which we might expect the persons of the the Godhead to be listed. Many scholars believing that the Son is listed before the Father because it's through the finished work of the Son that we come to know the Father's love and the Spirit's fellowship. Meaning that Paul's words here are not so much meant to be academic, but rather experiential. Which is an incredibly wondrous thing to, to think about. The Trinitarian benefits and blessings that Paul brings before us in Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. The title of Lord recognizing Jesus' sovereignty and divinity. The title of Christ recognizing his office as the promised Messiah and Redeemer. The name Jesus recognizing the salvation that's ours in him. As we're told in Matthew's gospel account, you shall name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace simply defined unmerited favor towards sinners. Apart from which you and I would remain dead in our trespasses. There's absolutely nothing we can do to merit our salvation. Grace, our only hope. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Or as Paul says earlier in this very letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, very famous. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. A grace which, too, is sufficient to sustain his redeemed. In the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our sufferings. Paul speaks this word of blessing, of of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to the saints in Corinth. As he says earlier in the letter, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You can't get much more comprehensive in language than that, can you? All grace. Having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that you may abound in every good work. But he said to me, 2 Corinthians 12 9, Christ to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. As we've talked about in the past, When Adam and Eve were exiled from God's garden sanctuary of Eden, a cherubim was placed with a sword in hand to keep them out of the garden. A gate established, you might say, separating man from God. It's not the only place in Scripture where we see cherubim separating man from God. As cherubim were embroidered on the curtain of the tabernacle, the veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies. 
The holy place being where the priests would perform their daily duties. The most holy place or holy of holies entered once a year and only by the high priest who would go in on the day of atonement, would offer incense and sprinkle the blood of sacrificial animals both for his own sins and the sins of the people. The cherubim embroidered on the curtain of the tabernacle a visible reminder that the Israelites couldn't enter because of their sin. A reminder of what happened in Eden. Man separated from God, cherubim standing in the way of God's presence. Which makes it all the more wondrous and remarkable that when Jesus' body was torn, so was the veil separating us from God's presence. The cherubim taken away. The glorious and wondrous hope of the gospel made visible. The inapproachable innermost room of the temple visible for all to see. Jesus, the way back into the the presence of God. A God who not only saves us by his grace, but who sustains us by his grace. Inviting us to come boldly, confidently before him. Not sheepishly for the mercy and grace he so freely gives. Hebrews 4 Verses 14 through 16. Many of you know this passage. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of what? Of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, a grace sufficient to sustain his redeemed, his people. James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace and more grace and more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. To those with Palms up, desperate, reliant, dependent for this grace. There's an abundance of grace made available to us in Christ, an overflow. A grace that is sufficient because its source is sufficient. The sufficient grace of the sufficient Jesus. Which is why Paul would end so many of his letters as he did to the church of the Thessalonians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. To the churches of Galatia, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. In a previous letter to the church in Corinth, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. To the saints in Rome, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In his letter to Philemon, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In the words of one scholar, the picture of his grace remains tipped and tottering over each of us, waiting to pour upon us a fresh shower of love. And speaking of love, this ocean of of truth in just a teaspoon of words includes not only the blessing of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but to the love of the Father, which we come to know and experience because of the grace of God in Christ. The depths of the love of God in Christ Jesus, which which we have a propensity to so easily forget, don't we? Much of the sin and unbelief in our lives rooted in such forgetfulness. Few people knew sorrow and suffering like the Apostle Paul. 
And yet Paul could say not that God hated him, but that God loved him with an everlasting love. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As Paul says elsewhere in Scripture more explicitly, for while we were still weak, Romans 5, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As Jesus himself declared, John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's not always easy to sense God's love, particularly when we struggle to understand what he's doing in our lives, when things go not from bad to better, but bad to worse. In those moments, we haven't been forgotten by God, nor have his affections grown cold toward us. There is no deeper theology than Jesus loves me, this I know, than the Father loves me in Christ His love is bigger than our circumstances, expressed in the greatest gift of love that we could ever know, the gift of God's beloved Son. A God who promises that nothing shall separate those who are in Christ from his love. Romans 8, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness? or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long, Paul says. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, junk drawer term, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. A love wide enough to embrace every tribe, tongue, and nation. Love long enough to span the scope of eternity. Love deep enough to get under the darkest of our sin. Love high enough to raise us up with Christ and seat us with him in heavenly places. A love inescapable to we who are in Christ. Pastor H.B. Charles says it this way. Mercy is his restraining love. Grace is his forgiving love. Providence is his overseeing love. His wisdom is his guiding love. Calvary is his proven love. Heaven is his eternal love. As we sing from time to time in gatherings like these, could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God made manifest among us in Christ, a love that will continue into the pages of eternity. And then there's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit. 
On the one hand, communicating something of our communion with and enjoyment of the Spirit of God. As Paul says elsewhere, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. That verb translated made to drink, it's sometimes used of irrigation, describing something of the Holy Spirit's life-giving, saturating presence and power. The Spirit who makes us alive in Christ. The Spirit who gives us assurance of our status as sons and daughters of God. The Spirit who brings forth the character of Christ in us. The Spirit who intercedes for us in prayer. The Spirit who guides and directs our steps. The Spirit who teaches us and guides us in all truth. The Spirit who empowers us for service. The Spirit who guarantees our future fellowship with God. The Spirit through whom we will experience the resurrection of our mortal bodies. And the Spirit who unifies believers. On the one hand, the fellowship of the Spirit communicating something of our communion with and enjoyment of the Spirit of God in our hearts and lives, His presence. On the other hand, communicating something of the fellowship that the Spirit produces in us in relation to each other. Paul, having written this letter, these words to a church divided, a church in need of Spirit-formed unity, restoration, and peace. As Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, here it is, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The bride of Christ, a Spirit-indwelt forever family, it's as if Paul's saying, hey, whatever previously separated you, you've been joined together by the one Holy Spirit. May that kind of fellowship be with you all. Not just those in Paul's corner, but all on the receiving end of this letter. Communicating something of Paul's hope and, and expectation that repentance for this church would indeed come to pass. That all having received this letter might know these glorious blessings. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God. The fellowship of the Spirit. Be with you all. An ocean of truth in just a teaspoon of words. An ocean of blessing through the presence of the triune God in our lives. A benediction inviting us to... Join our voices with the saints of old, singing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, praise Son, praise Holy Ghost. We're going to do that in these moments to come. And we're just getting started. And notice, and you'll see this throughout this series, when we look at a benediction, we'll also get caught up in praise. When we look at a doxology, we'll find ourselves palms up. We're just getting going. Some incredible passages of Scripture coming up in the next couple months. For now, I invite you to join me in worshiping the triune God. We'll do that through our collective corporate song. 
We'll do that through the receiving of the Lord's Supper as well. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to partake of the bread and the cup, but rather that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in this Jesus, that you would receive salvation by grace, that you'd fall at his feet, bringing nothing but your sin to the table, simply to the cross I cling, nothing in my hands I bring, that you would trust him for salvation. You would fall at his feet as Lord and King. If you are a Christian, as many of you know, we take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus. We dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. There are communion tables on either side of the stage here. There's a gluten-free table in the back there. Over the course of these last few songs, whenever you're ready to receive those elements, I invite you to do so. And as you do, sit with, with 2 Corinthians 13, 14 for just a moment. Notice it's out of orderedness. Son, Father, and Spirit, and recognize that the broken body and shed blood of Jesus is the hope that we have of knowing the Father's love and the fellowship of the Spirit in our lives. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, Find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.